Welcome to Shattered, the podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss mental illness. It's by a sufferer, for sufferers, and for the people that are looking to understand what it's like to live with mental illness. G'day, this is Mark from Shattered the Podcast. Glad to be with you today. We've got a little bit of a series happening at the moment just because a few issues have been thrown out uh, at the moment that people seem to be struggling with a lot more. It's going to be a four-part series. You can get it all in one hit if you want it, Uh, but it's going to be Will I Ever Be Happy? When Will This End? Why do I feel like this and how can I change? It's a four-part series. As I said, I'm going to release it in one big large block if you want to listen to it all the way through. So today we're going to start with, will I ever be happy? Now this is a difficult one because the default setting of life, (laughs) and this is such a cheery way to start, is misery. That's what happens if you don't receive love, education, uh, structure, family. All the things that go into making us a healthy, happy person are added extras. During the war, German scientists did a study. I don't know if it's true, but they had two lots of babies. One they hugged, one they didn't. Uh, The nurses were instructed to do the minimal amount of care the others were given hugs it was disproportionately that the kids that got the attention and the love were much better off than the kids that didn't i'm not going to use german scientists from world war ii as my metric here but it's a basic human principle i've seen it in real life Working with people with disabilities, you can see the kids that grew up in a loving home with attention, with parents that were thoughtful, that tried to include them, were always so much better adjusted than the parents that kind of did the bare minimum. And you could tell the kids quite easily. So the sad and miserable fact of life is that happiness is not a guarantee. It is, however, I believe, not a destination either. Because these people that talk about be happy and everything, I don't know what drugs they're on. I would like to try some. Because if I could be happy in everything, life would be sweet. How can I be happy when I can barely pay my rent? How can I be happy when I'm a drain on all my family? How can I be happy if... I can never contribute or be part of society. How can I be happy if I can't even have friends? These are all very, very valid questions that you're going through. And like all this stuff, there is no fast answer. There's no blanket answer. I could give you a thousand ways to try and make you happy. Maybe two of them would work. And what makes me happy might not make you happy. So let me talk about happiness. When I got hurt, I felt that there was no happiness in the world at all. I would see people being happy, living a happy life, and it's not that I thought that I wasn't able to have it, it's that I couldn't, that I was unable to feel happiness. Now, the thing about mental illness is it doesn't just affect your todays. Your todays are bad enough. 
it doesn't just affect your future, your tomorrows, because you don't have a tomorrow, but it also corrupts your memories. It takes those past experiences and it shows them through the lens like a kaleidoscope of your pain and that pain is then reflected onto all of those memories. So you'll be talking to somebody with a mental illness and you'll say, remember when we did this and it was great and and it was before they got hurt, but they can't get the same amount of joy out of it that you would expect. Hang on, mate, that was a really great time. The person with the mental illness is going, was it really? Was it really? They'll find ways for their mental illness to corrupt that memory and turn it into something that it was not. And what it also does is it also magnifies the errors that you made. So you might be sitting there thinking about a great time that you had in school. Me, I think about the times that I failed abysmally. And when somebody comes up with something good, a friend of mine came up to me a few years ago now. I hadn't seen them since school. And they came up to me and they said, I'll never forget when you said this thing to me. I don't think I'll ever be able to get past it. I didn't know what I'd said, but my mind immediately was worried about what I had said and I stressed over it. So when I saw this person the next time, I had this huge apology Look, when I was young, I was brash, I was anxious, I might have had something wrong with me, I was on drugs, I was anything to come up with a way to just apologize to this person for whatever it is that I said to them that they could never get past. And they said, no, no, Mark, you don't understand. What you said changed my life in a positive way. And then they went on to express how this little thing that I had said had set them on this path that had been really good and successful for them and they can equate that to that time that conversation they it's a pivotal conversation in their memory now for me i still honestly don't remember that conversation memory loss big part of having a mental illness big part of destroying your past you don't remember a lot of things just because you can't you're just too consumed it's like your mind is so full of stuff that when you go back and you think about things think about things that happen you think about your illness not the reality of the situation so i don't think about what i was doing and the things that i did i was thinking about who i was with how i was affecting them what i was going through at that period So let's get back to, will I ever be happy? And the basic thing is that even though the default of life is misery, if you aren't loved, if you aren't nurtured, if you aren't cared for, if you don't have connections, you can't be happy. And that's the thing with people with mental illness. We isolate. We hide away from people because we don't like what we see. So we don't want you to see it. And we can't imagine why you would want to see it. And then we've got the thing of we don't feel good enough about ourselves to think that we could ever have a positive influence on anybody. So it's much easier to just hide away, to distance yourself. You're going to hurt people anyway. You may as well make a preemptive strike and just not hang out with them because it's the way it's going to end up anyway. Now, of course, this is a lie. And the whole idea that you can't be happy is a lie. Now, my wife works really hard with me on trying to find moments 
or identifying moments when I am free of the struggle of mental illness. And they are very few and far between. But the thing is, they've gotten more and more common the more that I have tried to get better. And that is the key for you to finding happiness. You must pursue health. Now, my unattainable goal, I think of it like a never-ending marathon. It seems like some people sprint to the finish line. They have a great life. They're popular. They're, they've got family. They have a 50th birthday and 700 people show up. They they have all these things and, and they're, they're spectacular and they're brilliant and everything seems to go right for them. And then they just die in the arms of the person that they love and their life has been a magical sprint which has just gone from success to success. Me, I see life as a marathon that, I'm basically doing on my hands and knees. I think about a story about an Australian digger in World War II. He was fighting on a, in a battle on the Kokoda track. And please forgive me, I cannot remember his name at the moment. He was wounded in his legs. He could not walk. Now, if you know anything about the Kokoda track, you know that we talk about the Fuzzy Wuzzy Angels, the natives, the Papuan natives, who were at times conscripted, wasn't pretty, to carry the wounded, but who many of them were paid and chose to help carry our wounded. Well, this man knew that to get a guy from the battlefield back to Port Moresby was a matter of only... 10 or 11 miles, but it was more like 50 miles when you look at the ups and downs. As a, There was no way he was going to be able to, to make that distance, let alone going up and down these heights, particularly when it took eight people to bring one stretcher down because you had to have one on each corner and then you had to have four backups because the guys would get tired. And if they didn't have that many, the stretcher would never get back. Well, what this gentleman did is he didn't want his mates and the fuzzy wuzzy angels to go through this with him. So he crawled on his hands and knees. And I think of this guy when I think about being sad. He could have stopped at any time. There was no way that he could have walked, but he pressed on. He did what he could and the fact is when you delve deeper into the story it would have been a huge burden on his friends for them to carry him but what he did is he carried as much as he could and I see this as my job as a person with a mental illness I carry what I can and what I can't carry I don't worry about if I can't carry it if I'm unable to, I don't punish myself for it. I don't say I'm a terrible person because another person would be able to do this or pre-injury I could have been able to do this. What does this mean about happiness? I believe that happiness ties into our efforts to achieve it. Now, I want to explain this because this is it's a hard concept. If you have a mental illness and you don't go to a psych, you don't go to a GP, you don't take your medication, you don't do anything that you need to do to get better, I don't believe that there is any way that you can be happy without taking kind of artificial stimulants because you're not doing anything. 
Now let's go back to this soldier on the Kokoda track. He knew that he had to get to a certain place to get help. He knew that it would be extremely hard, if not impossible, for his mates to carry him. So what did he do? He did what he could. And it cannot have been a fun journey. I mean, there's, there's guys that are 18, 19, fit as you like, who were absolutely wrecked by that track. And here is a man that's doing it on his hands and knees. That's what we need to be doing. You cannot just sit and stop and expect that you're going to get happy. You need to go and do the things that you need to do to work through your mental illness. It's like a drowning man. You're never going to be able to take a breath of fresh air unless you push your head above water. And that's what we need to do. That's what therapy is allowing us to do. It's allowing us to put our heads above water long enough that we can take a breath. And then we want it to get more and more so that you're able to feel the bottom. You're standing on your tippy toes. You can just stick your, your nose out. Okay, it's up to your chest. You can stand. You're comfortable. You're aware of the illness. It's this space. It's this capacity to work towards a place of wellness that allows us to achieve happiness. If you're sitting there, if you're struggling, if you're thinking this seems like it has gone on forever, it has not. It feels like it. And this again, I come back to this time and time again. Don't let the lies your mind is telling you rule your life. Yeah, What could this guy have done on the track? He could have just stopped. He could have said, you know what? I'm just going to let my mates carry me. I don't know. Would he have carried guilt for the rest of his life? Would he have been able to move past the fact that he let his mates carry him? I don't know what was going on in his head. But I know that whatever happened to this man, he knew that he did what he could to the best of his ability. That's what we as people with mental illness need to do. You need to find that thing that allows you to put your head above water that isn't a chemical. Now, I'm not saying don't take drugs. I take a lot of drugs prescribed by my doctors, my psychologists, and most importantly, my psychiatrists. And those drugs aren't supposed to fix me. They're supposed to help me get to a point where my head is above water and I can breathe long enough to take things in. My wife is a big one on finding moments of joy, moments of clarity, moments of peace. And I encourage you, if you can, if you're just standing there and you're laughing with your kids, if you've got kids, you're laughing with your friends, you have a spontaneous moment where for a moment you feel happy, grab onto it, acknowledge it. Say, that was cool. I really enjoyed that. As I said, there's no magic bullet for this one. I wish that there was. But you will not, you cannot be happy if you aren't working on your mental illness and doing the things that you need to do to get as good as you can. Part two coming up just around the corner. We're going to talk about when will this end. Talk to you soon.
G'day, g'day. Welcome back to Shattered, the podcast. I'm Mark. We are doing part two of our series. Last time we talked about, will I ever be happy? Uh, I guess the synopsis of that is the answer is no, unless you're willing to do something to help yourself to get better. Okay. Today we're going to talk about when will this end or will this end? For somebody that's in the middle of suffering a mental illness, they're feeling the symptoms, they are being crushed by the depression, I can tell you from experience, it feels like it's never going to end. When I got to the point where I was going to take my own life, when I tried to, I had just gotten to a point where I thought that nothing was ever going to change for me, nothing ever would, and the best option for me was to leave. What I want to highlight in this episode is we've got to talk about something called mindfulness and we've got to think about our mindset. Mindfulness is not this ooga booga new age thing about finding the om and being one with the universe. It's about being present. It's about being aware of where you are and what's going on. One thing about us people with mental illness is we can miss everything. We can go to a party and be at that party and then go home and somebody says, how was the party? You're like, I don't know. Because we weren't present. We were thinking about our issues. We were standing in a corner. We may have been engaging and pretending to smile. But did we enjoy ourselves? I don't know. Maybe. I stayed. I've become professional at something called the Irish goodbye. Don't know why it's called that. As an Irish Australian, I don't know whether I should be offended by it. It's when you leave a social engagement and you don't tell anybody. I have mastered this. I do not feel guilt. I do not feel uh, troubled in any way by the fact that when I'm done at a certain situation, I am done and I am out. It is brutal and it is sometimes offensive to people, but there's just times where you've just got to say, I'm out. What this allows you to do, being able to to end something, it allows you to appreciate what you are actually doing. So say you've got a social engagement and you've got to go and really you kind of do want to go. You do, but you don't. You sort of, uh, you go for as long as you can handle it, mindfully aware that you are here for this certain amount of time and then leave and then move on. And do that for whatever you're doing. If you're watching a show and you know that you're not going to finish the end, allow yourself to just turn it off. What's the point that I'm making here? It's these micro times of enjoyment that make you realize that this will end. There is light at the end of the tunnel, and that is going to be the crux of the episode here. There is light at the end of the tunnel. If you are willing to work, and sometimes it feels never-ending. Last episode, we talked about this guy on the Kokoda track, wounded in the legs, who would not allow himself to be carried and he dragged himself on his hands and knees 
over these cliffs that were basically destroying other young, healthy men with all their limbs. And he did it without complaint. That's how I view my mental illness. Now, I have been wounded. I've been hurt. I am carrying an injury. Now, I know, being an Australian, I can imagine this guy doing what he could when he could and just doing it quietly, just doing it in his head. Sometimes it would have been easier to drag himself up. Sometimes he would have had lots of handholds. Sometimes he wouldn't have. Sometimes he would have gone backwards more than he went forwards. But he just kept going. Now, this might seem like a fairly bleak way of describing a mental illness, but to me it is just so pertinent. I'm on a path as a person with a mental illness, and I watch the people around me coping with it and dealing with it and being able to move unencumbered, healthy, apparently happy. And I'm on my hands and my knees dragging myself at times. Now, I think about this soldier and I know that for not one second was he angry at the guys around him for not helping him. In fact, he got angry when people tried to help him because he knew that they were struggling as well. He was with a, It was a large party, but it was very few of them were actually healthy. Quite a few were on stretches. Quite a few were being helped along. And this man just kept saying, I can do what I can do. And he kept up with them. Will this end? Think about this man. Do you think he ever thought it was going to end? Did you think that at times he thought, this is the rest of my life dragging myself along? Probably. Probably he did. But he also knew that if he could make it to a certain point, it would stop. But he knew that he had to work towards it. Now, if you're not willing to put in the hard work, I cannot guarantee you that this will end. I can't. I mean, let's look at people like Anthony Bourdain. Guy had the best job in the world. He went around the world meeting nice people and eating their food. And he took his own life. You know, people like Chester Billington, lead singer in one of the most famous rock bands in the world, took his own life. I don't know why those men chose what they chose. But I can tell you for a fact that they weren't mindful of the situations that they were actually in. When I tried to take my life, when I thought there was not going to be any end to it, I realized once I had made the decision to take my life and gone through with the action, it was then that I realized that that's not what I wanted. There is a gentleman who is one of 19 people to survive jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. 19 people have jumped in the history of the bridge and lived out of the thousands that have taken their lives by jumping off that bridge. This interview, and I strongly suggest that you Google it. If I can, I'm, I'm actually trying to track this guy down because I want to talk to him. He talks about how when he was at that point of no return, he said he'd stood up on the banister, the railing, and jumped. As soon as he jumped, the second his hands and feet were off the bridge, he realized that that's not what he wanted. What I want to help you do is 
make it so that you can get to the point of realizing that it's not what you want before you make that attempt, before you do what I do, did, before you do what the guy that jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge did. If you can be mindful of those little moments, of those little times, if you can be aware of your capacity of what you can handle and what you can't handle, we have Christmas with family every year. I stopped going. Just I, I couldn't deal with it at all. But when I sat down with my wife and we said, okay, how much could you handle? What is it about where you're going that is, is, it makes it so hard? And for me, it was the chit-chat at the start. Just the, hey, how you doing? What's going on? Hated that. And then it was sitting around afterwards. Just endlessly sitting there. What are we going to do? I don't know. We'll just watch the cricket or something. It just, every time it did my head in. So what did my wife do? She said, all right, I only want you to come, but I only want you to come for an hour. Come just before the food's served, leave straight after the presents are given away. That changed my life. It was, I had permission to not hang around. And when I would do my Irish farewell, leaving without telling anyone, she would just say, sorry, Mark, had to go. People were like, got it, cool. I had a good day. They had a good day. I didn't put myself in a, under any undue pressure. And over time, I can stay a little bit longer. Other times, I need to stay less. Other times, if it's impossible, I don't go. I mean, why put yourself in a situation that's going to give you stress if you don't absolutely have to be there? This is a long way to go to tell you that, yes, it will end. I never thought I would be able to go back to a family celebration. I thought that part was dead to me. I thought, I'm just not going to go and I'm going to be mean about it and I don't care what people think. But my wife, with her understanding, saying, okay, well, what can you handle? What are the good parts for you? And I go and I do the things that I can enjoy. One thing that actually helped me get through the worst of my depression is just finding a really, really goofy comedy show on telly. It's a sitcom. My name is Earl, I think it was. It was just a goofy comedy that was very specific, I guess, type of humor, but it just gelled with me and it gave me moments where I didn't have to think about my own mental illness. But I wouldn't have found that unless I was being mindful Unless I was saying, okay, what, 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 what am I watching this show for? What, what am I getting out of this show? Am I getting anything out of it? One thing I had to do was just stop watching the news. I'd watch the news and I'd be freaking out afterwards. Never understood why. It's because I wasn't being mindful. It was because I wasn't doing the work that I needed to do to get better. My encouragement to you right now is yes. This can end. This pain that you're feeling, this struggle that you're going through, it will end. But here's the, the massive kick in the guts. If you do decide to take your own life because you're hurting everybody around you, your death will not kill the pain. The pain will live on in the people you leave behind. This can end. Do the work. Be mindful 
of the things, the moments that make you happy. Be mindful of the things that cause you pain and stress. Whatever you do, if you're going through hell, don't stop. Part three will be coming in just a few minutes or right now if you're listening to it all back to back. G'day and welcome to Shattered, the podcast. I am excited to be with you today. I'm Mark. Hope you're having a good day. This is part three of our session on, I guess I haven't really titled it. I guess it's feelings. Uh, The first one is, will I ever be happy? The second one was, will this ever end? Uh, This ongoing idea that your pain will not stop. That was part two. And today we're talking about why do I feel like this? Now, a person with mental illness, we all kind of get the idea that their mentals are going to be a struggle for them. Their symptoms of the illness or disease that they're going through are going to cause them pain, emotional pain. But what we don't understand is that mental illness can actually do a lot more than just what a diagnosis might suggest. So let's say somebody has PTSD. It is about trauma that leads to anxiety and depression. It is diagnosable. It is easy to understand. My friend gets super duper depressed and he can't stop being depressed unless he works on it. Or he's super, super anxious, saw some things that nobody should ever see and they've got um, anxiety. We understand a little bit about those mental deficiencies or damages or illnesses. We get that. But there is a lot more to mental illness than just those chemicals that are going on in your head. If you check with any really reputable website on psychiatric health, look at the side effects to some of the illnesses and they're things that are really, really going to surprise you. I'm going to list a couple of them now. So people with a mental illness can experience weight loss or gain. It can happen for a number of reasons. Your lifestyle becoming more sedentary, your medications slowing your metabolism down, uh, you not eating is a very, very valid and real side effect of mental illness. Mental illness can make it hard for a person to be productive. You want to try and get something done, but you can't. Do we put this down to some sort of psychiatric reason? Do we say that the person is lazy? Do we say that they're not motivated? No, it's not that at all. They want to do the things that they want to do. They just feel like they can't. They're either so compressed by depression that they feel like they can't get off the ground or they're so anxious that they're going to fail that even the thought of attempting something will fail so incredibly badly that they can't start it. It can give you sleep problems. We are going to do an episode on sleep real, real soon because the fact is sleep deprivation is used as a torture for good reason. And the good reason is that it works. It breaks down your psyche. The less you sleep, the harder it is to do many, many different things. Your cognitive abilities decline rapidly. You can't add or subtract. You can't use words the way that you normally will. You can't put sentences together. You can have hallucination, sleep problems. That's another side effect 
of having a mental illness. And if you think if you're so anxious, you know those people that say they can't turn their mind off. What if they couldn't turn off a horror movie in their head where they were being chased, where they were being uh, attacked, where they were being bitten, where they were uh, having spiders crawling all over their body? That's a different kind of I couldn't turn my mind off to my mind is torturing me so I can't sleep. It can give you anxiety and panic attacks. I don't know if we've done an episode of panic attacks. We're going to because I honestly thought the panic attacks were not real. I thought unless you were one of those people that basically had a heart attack from stress, fear, whatever, uh, all the rest was rubbish until I experienced one myself. Until I was standing there one day, I didn't know where I was, I didn't know what I was doing, I didn't know where I was going, and it was it was freaking me out. I just, I, I, I was stuck. I felt like one of those, <laughs> going to show my age, felt like one of those records that are, that are caught on a groove. Yerup, 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 yerup. Same thing's happening over and over and again, and I can't stop it, and my mind's freaking out, and I'm hyperventilating, and I can't breathe, and somebody's looking at me, and there's people over there, and and I don't know where I am. How can I not know where I am? Panic attacks are real, and for want of a better word, they suck. They are horrible, horrible things. Imagine if you're in a dark room where you can't see anything, and you're trying to walk through, and you know there's lots of sharp things on the ground, corners and things that you can catch yourself on. Well, now think about doing that in a, and they've sucked all the air out of the room so you can't breathe. So you know that if you walk, you're going to hit yourself on something, you're going to hurt yourself, but you can't breathe. That's what a panic attack feels like to me. They can make you have breakdowns. I thought that breakdowns were for middle-aged men who chose to have affairs, or for bored housewives. Breakdowns, again, are real. Once I was injured, I had spent 18 years working in the field of disability care. I'd worked with people, I'd worked in management, I'd done behaviour modification, I'd managed houses. Uh, I My whole life was disability care. I was about to go into senior management when I got hurt, and couldn't do it. And then I was told that I should never go back to working with disabled people again. Turns out this is true. If I see somebody that has a physical disability, it still freaks me out, uh, makes it hard for me to breathe, makes me quite nervous. I left that world and went and worked as a public servant, a civil servant, if you're in America, and England, I think. Not sure. But I was a public servant. And basically, I went from a really high-paced industry where you show up in the morning, you are flat out from morning till night, you had things to do for clients, you were always running behind, you were always underfunded, Uh, a shift would go through without you eating anything in the eight to ten hours that you worked, just because you couldn't find the time to eat, to working as a public servant where... (laughs) They've got more money than they know how to deal with. I spent so much time doing nothing in that job, quite literally that it caused me to have a breakdown. There was long, long morning teas. There was lunches. There was the morning coffee breaks. There was chats over the 
water cooler. There was people coming to my desk just talking about nonsense. It was incredible to me that I was getting paid more than I could ever dream of working with people with disabilities, doing the absolute bare minimum. The people that, and they've got every right to feel like this. They can do a nine to five. I get it. But these people were religious about it. And then you had the people that would show up and, and I couldn't not see it. The people that would show up, drop their bags, disappear for 15, 20 minutes. Then they'd come back and they'd spend a few minutes going through emails and, oh, what's the funny meme? Oh, we've got a meeting in 15 minutes, so I won't start any work now. You then go to that meeting and it's basically a meeting about nothing. It's a meeting that's not necessary. We'll spend a good 10 minutes after the meeting just chatting to people wander back to our desk, maybe do some work. Oh, it's 11.30, it's morning tea time. Getting to go out for a smoke or for whatever. And this happened day after day after day after day. Quite literally, I had a breakdown. I had an absolute meltdown. It was like I'd been injured all over again. Mental illness gives you a proclivity to having a breakdown. It can give you bad memory loss. Now, I've experienced this. I did an acting class, I studied the lines, and we had a night where we did a play. And I got on stage, the light turned on, and I forgot every single word of the script that I had learnt, backed and forwards, for months. I knew this script. I was the first person to learn it completely. I did it a million times. I stepped onto stage, it was all gone. I've talked a little bit about losing memories of past things people often come up and say oh remember when we did this no I I really don't remember when we did this that thing where you walk into a room and you know you've walked in there for something but you can't remember what you were there for that's pretty much me constantly after I got hurt I was constantly in places that I knew where I was And I knew normally why I would be there. But if you were to ask me at that point in time, I could not give you a reason that I was there. I knew I was there for something. I just couldn't remember. Forget about doctor's appointments. I mean, the alarm on your phone becomes magic when you have a mental illness. Because I need to just write down every appointment, everything that I'm going to have at the time that I'm making it. Otherwise, I'm just going to forget. I'll get home. My wife will say, what, what time's your appointment? I don't know. Didn't you just talk to a doctor about five minutes ago? Yeah, I did, but couldn't tell you to save my life. One of the other things that you can suffer, and this will be my last point on this subject, is that it can actually give you physical symptoms. Aches, pains, cramps, tiredness. I get a rash on my legs. Never goes away. Sometimes I feel like my legs are on fire and I scratch and I scratch and I scratch. I know that I scratch them in my sleep. I have to cut my toenails really short. Otherwise, I scratch my legs to the point where they bleed. Nobody can explain this rash. I am not allergic to anything. There is nothing that I am allergic to that would bring on this rash. It's completely in my mind. You may be sitting there going, Why do I feel so bad all the time? It's all these extra things. The loss or gaining of weight. The difficulty in being productive. The lack of sleep. The anxiety and the panic attacks. The breakdowns. The bad memory loss. 
the physical pains, the aches, the pains, the cramps, the tiredness that is all a part of mental illness and having mental illness symptoms. So why do you feel like this? It has a reason. It has a name. Can I tell you how happy I was the day that the doctor told me that I categorically had PTSD because I honestly thought I was making it up because everything had gone so bad so fast that I thought this could not really be possible. And I honestly thought I was faking. I honestly did not know where all this stuff came from. Then the doctor said, Mark, you have PTSD and here is what you can expect. And it was everything that I was feeling. It was all those things that I listed today and more. I'm going to put that list up on the Shattered the Podcast Facebook page. Uh, If you want to have a look at it, if you want to check it out and see it, it's going to be on that Facebook page. All right, part four of this feelings kind of longish series (laughs) is coming up very soon. How can I change? Welcome back to part four in our series of feelings episodes. I wish I could come up with a sexy name for the series, but I can't. The first part was, will I ever be happy? Second part, will this ever end? Last part was, why do I feel like this? Got a huge response from that one. People just saying, I had no idea that I could feel all these physical ailments without actually knowing where they came from, not realizing that they came from their mental illness. Part four today is how can I change? You might think that I already covered this in Will This End, but it is something that I've heard on the mental health forums, uh, the conversations I've been having with people. They can't understand how things won't change. The thing is, and this is going to be a hard thing for people to understand, is you cannot get through mental illness to the other side without a lot of hard work and it's work that you need to do one of my children suffered a fairly severe psychiatric episode recently they came out of that pretty much okay but then they were told you need to do this 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 and this once you get out well they couldn't see the point of doing any of that and then they didn't get any better and when they came back to us and said I'm not getting any better. I don't understand why I'm not. And we were able to say, did you do your exercise every day? Did you take your pills? Did you do your mindfulness exercises? Did you do your thought challenging exercises? And she went, no, that is the definition of somebody that is never, ever going to get better. It's doing exactly the same thing over and over again and expecting it to be a different result. And it's not going to be. If you just sit there, if you just hope that one day you will feel better, I mean, God bless you, I hope you do. I really, really do. I I honestly hope that you do. I hope that somehow you grow out of these symptoms because I wouldn't wish them on my worst enemy. But if you're like me and your reality is that you have a mental illness, if you are not willing to do that hard work, if you are not willing to be responsible for your own recovery, you cannot change. The daughter that I mentioned, she keeps coming back saying, oh, I don't feel any better. Okay, mate, have you challenged those thoughts? Oh, no. Well, why not? 
Why haven't you challenged them? Oh, I just, I didn't want to. It seemed like homework. And it was getting her to understand that this stuff is a process. She's not going to do this once. Oh, I was mindful today and I I had a laugh and I, I watched a nice view and I felt really good for 10 minutes. I'm better. I'm cured. No, you're not. You had a good 10 seconds. Tomorrow is going to be just as bad unless you do something about it. The title of the episode is How Can I Change? I can't tell you how or what you need to do for your specific situation. You need to get professional help because you can't do it on your own. And I know people have, and they are extraordinary. I, I wish we were all like them. But the reality is, and it was the reality for me, that if I didn't go to the psych appointments, if I didn't do what they told me to do, I was never going to get any better. My wife works with a gentleman who has a mental illness or worked a long, actually it's worked a long time ago, actually. And she worked with this dude and he knew he had a mental illness. He understood that he was struggling, but he wouldn't do the basics to look after himself. He wouldn't do the things that the doctors took him told him to do. I don't like taking drugs because they make me feel squiffy. My wife reminded me of a situation today. I was adamant that I was not going to take drugs when I first was hurt. I was like, no, nah, let's let's go all holistic and, you know, um, let, let's, let's do naturalistic things to help me. Couldn't help me, didn't help me. It was a waste of time. So I went on drugs and I was taking one specifically and this is what my wife reminded me of is I was on this drug and I felt horrible. I just, it just wasn't working for me and I, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't explain it. So we weaned me off that drug, which was horrible. And then we put me on this new drug or well, when you put me on the new drug, it was like opening a window on a snowy day when it's all, all of a sudden it's bright and sunny and i highly recommend if you're ever in a snowy place to do this just once just when the sun comes out just open up that window and let the sun shine into your room it just it feels incredible and that was the feeling that i had once i was on the course of medication didn't happen instantly but once the system the drugs had built up in my system I then realized how bad I actually felt before I started taking the drugs. I had no idea. Now, I did that sunny thing, open the window when it's snowy outside. I was living in Portland, in Oregon, in the United States, and we went for something like 38 days where the sun didn't come out. Now, for the Oregonians, they just, they were fine with this, but they couldn't understand why I was getting depressed, I was getting listless, uh, I was having trouble sleeping, and they didn't understand until this day that I was sitting in a classroom, actually, and then I saw outside that it was snowy, and I saw that the sun was out. I whipped up that window, to which everybody was, you're letting the heat out, but I didn't care. I just breathed in that sunshine, if that makes any sense to you. Everybody was complaining so much. I just shut the window, I raced outside, and I basically just lay down in the sun. I, I took as many clothes off as I could 
And remember, I was lying in snow, so I didn't get down to my undies. But, you know, I had a pair of shorts on. I took whatever jumper I was wearing off, and I was just laying there in that sunshine. And it was like a day or two after when everybody started to say, wow, you really missed the sun. It, it was a different me and everybody could see it and we could see that there was a tangible reason for it. Years later, I'm sad, I'm having a tough time. I take the right medication and it's like that sun came out all over again. It was like the world had hope in it. <laughs> and it was just simply being able to get beyond my symptoms. So how can I change? Do the things that you need to do. Speak to the professionals. Speak to the medical specialists. And if you're not getting help, push. Push harder. I don't know what things are like overseas, but in Australia, if you go to a doctor and you don't like the things that they've said or if they're dismissive to you, just go to another doctor. Find a doctor that is going to hear you and if you need to, and do what I did, I bring my wife with me. If I have to meet a new doctor, I'm bringing my wife with me because I am an unreliable witness. She is not. She doesn't have a mental illness and she'll tell him, this is what he's like. This is what he needs. Do the things that you need to do. Fight for yourself. Understand that there are bad psychologists out there. Oh, I don't know if I get sued for that one, but it's true. Not every psychologist out there is a brilliant psychologist. Not every psychologist that out is, that's out there is going to be the one for you. I've been to some terrible ones. They, they may have worked and been good for other people, but for me, they were terrible. One in particular did a lot of damage to me. Uh, just trying a treatment that he wasn't really experienced in. I knew at the time I should have told this guy because he said, look, I'm only just starting to do this. Are you willing to let me have a try? And I gave him permission. I said, yeah, whatever. If, it, if, it's, if there's a chance that it can help me. I then went to another psychologist and told them what this guy had done. And they were horrified to the point where, tell me their name, I'm going to report them. And I, was, I didn't want that to happen to that guy. So I never pursued it. Find medical professionals that are going to hear you and hear about your situation, not just in a way of, oh, I want to write you up so I can give you some drugs and get you out the door, but somebody that's going to care, that's going to know who you are, that are going to understand that you want to get better. You don't want to feel like this. You don't want to be this way. And do what they tell you to do. If they give you some drugs and you don't take them, you can't go back to them the next week and say they're not working or in six months, or in 12 months. Might have worked for six months. You thought, oh, I'm, I'm cured. I'll go off my pills now. And then all of a sudden, you're back in emergency because you can't deal with what you're going through. My last, well, my current doctor, we recently had a conversation where I asked point blank, does he ever think I'll be able to go off medication? He said no. In his opinion, he thinks that the things that I've suffered through the traumas to my brain chemistry are going to plague me for the rest of my life doesn't mean that i'm going to be constantly depressed and anxious for the rest of my life no it doesn't that's what my pills are doing but i notice if i ever go a couple of days without my pills i have bad days 
like my daughter. They said, we need you to track your feelings because you saying that you feel bad doesn't do anything. Show up at the next appointment. Where's your chart of your feelings? Oh, I didn't want to do it. I was too sad. It's like, well, on what days were you sad? How were you sad? I know of people that have gone to see psychologists and psychiatrists and they've said that it hasn't helped. And I've said, well, did you talk to them about this or this? And they said, oh, no, that was a bit too personal. If you don't trust the medical professionals around you, find medical professionals that you do and do what they say. Here's one that I'm terrible at. Every single doctor I've been to, Mark, go outside and walk. I hate going for walks. If I have to go somewhere, I'm fine. If I have to walk down the shops, great. But just the idea of wandering around for no reason, it does my head in. I'm terrible. But I can't then turn around and say, "They, Mark, have you had a great week? No, but I didn't go out and do my walks this week or I didn't take my medication consistently. Or There's always a reason why there's a dip in my mental health. And it's always been, in my case, me choosing not to do the things that I needed to do. How can I change? First thing to do, realize you cannot change yourself. You need help. How can you change? Go and get that help. And then listen to that help. And then do what that help is telling you to do. Bottom line is navigating a mental illness could be a lifelong process for you, but it doesn't need to be a lifelong struggle. My mental illness now is more of a process than a struggle. I have bad days, but for the most part, I deal okay. And I've set my standards down to be able to say things are okay and know that that's a good thing. Can you change? Yes. Will you change? That's up to you. Thank you for listening to Shattered, the podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Meredith Brosnan, our executive producer, Torian Lau, and the band Adelaide for allowing us to use their song as our theme. Go to shatteredthepodcast.com for more information. Bound you.